Welcome back to the Snap Food Podcast. I am your host, Mr. C, and today, today we're going to do a two-part episode where I'll have uh, two different episodes up today. Uh, both. Of, this is basically our first uh, History Sunday, where every Sunday I will do make an episode about uh, just random tidbit of history. And for today, we're going to look at two random, well, not necessarily random, two interesting events from World War II. Basically, I would call these the greatest blunders of World War II on two major countries. And for this part, part one, we are going to look at what is known as the Winter War. The Winter War was basically a, well, not a lot of people know about it in America. That's what I'm talking about now. I like to educate people. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, the Winter War was a, I guess you could say, a mini-war within World War II. So, just some background. Right before World War II started in, in September 1939... Months before, Adolf Hitler and Josef Stalin signed the Molotov-Riventop Pact. This was a non-aggression pact, which would ensure that a peace of sorts would last for 10 years between the Soviet Union and the Third Reich. It also carved up all of Eastern Europe between these two powers. For Hitler, he would have half of Poland, and Stalin would have the other half of Poland, Stalin would also have free reign in the northern part of Eastern Europe and the Balkans. And so, September 1st, 1939, World War II begins with the German invasion of Poland. A few days later, Stalin invaded from the east, and they abided by their set agreement. Meanwhile, as Hitler begins his war path on Europe, Stalin begins to secretly and quietly take over all of the northern part of Eastern Europe, and one of the countries that was promised to him was Finland. So, Stalin made some demands of Finland. Now, you might be thinking, why Finland? Well, Finland was, the border of Finland rested not too far away from the city of Leningrad, Leningrad being the birthplace of Bolshevism, and Stalin was paranoid. He was paranoid about a lot of things, but he was paranoid that the completely peaceful Finns would uh, aid the Germans and besiege Leningrad. So, him and his foreign minister, Mr. Ro Mr. Molotov, that name, <laughs> that name sounds familiar if you hear the word Molotov, but we'll get into that in a minute. He basically, they went to Finland and they made some demands. Give us 10% of your border area, demobilize the other area, and also give us all of your major ports. Finland, being, well, any reasonable sovereign nation, just told Stalin no. Stalin, being Stalin, was completely overconfident into the power of the Red Army, and soon he had a staged event upon the Finnish-Russian border, which kicked off the Winter War. And basically, Stalin, he saw how the complexity and how impressive the um the um the blitzkrieg was in in poland and so he wanted to show off the power of the red army so on november 30th he ordered the red army into finland and it's getting off to a great start and then it stops 
the mighty Red Army, armed to the t the largest army in the world at this point, tanks, airplanes, soldiers, you name it, and they start getting their asses kicked by the Finns. The Finns only having an army of only about a couple dozen thousand, mostly reservists, no tanks, a couple of World War One-era biplanes, and outdated rifles. That's right. The massively outmanned, outgunned, and the Finns are just, they're, they're, they're whipping the Russians. Now, it, it, for one, there are many reasons for this. For one, Stalin purged all the Red Army of all of its competent officers and leaders before World War II began, and this caused, well, you could, it caused basically the weakness in the Red Army. And this is very evident with, you know, the, the absolute disaster that was the invasion of Finland. As basically troops are completely leaderless and they're being picked off one by one by small Finnish ambushes. Two, the main... Finland was he is heavily forested and it's... It basically it was a really rough winter that year. In fact, it was one of the harshest winters in history, in fact... And the Russians were forced to walk down long, narrow roads in single-file columns with their tanks and whatnot. And the Finns would hide in the snow on the sides, ambush them, lodge the logs inside of tank treads, basically immobilizing them. And using gasoline-filled bottles that would be lit and tossed into the exhaust of a tank, making it go boom. And this is where the Molotov cocktail came into play as you see, they named it after the Soviet foreign minister, Mr. Molotov. In fact, the Finns would later rename <laughs> dub Russian bombers uh, Molotov breadbaskets because Molotov told the world that, oh, those, those, those planes weren't dropping bombs, they were dropping food supplies for the Russians and for the Finns. So they, they, were, they were bombing the shit out of Finland. So they're like, yeah, no, those are Molotov breadbaskets. <laughs> And this series of unfortunate events would spiral completely out of control for the Red Army. And they couldn't even crack Finland's only real main defensive line, the Mannerheim Line. The Mannerheim Line was a long series of fortifications that spanned across the Russo-Finnish border. However, compared to, say, the Maginot Line in France, this was not even close. In fact, it was extremely extremely primitive forms of fortification. And yet the Finns held on to this line for quite some time, in fact, inflicting heavy casualties on the Russians. Their tanks, their airplanes, their soldiers would just come in waves and waves and waves and just be cut down by the Finns. Also, during the Winter War, um, the Finns would uh, take, uh, they would take advantage of how, well, basically, they were all trained to ski as, a, as children. So, they would use skis. They basically just, they would run circles around red, the Red Army and basically wait until the Red Army stopped and would cut them to pieces, hijack their tanks. And now, the Finns were using Russian tanks against the Russians. And, of course, everyone in Moscow is panicking. Stalin and Rivertrop, in fact, Rivertrop quote, said, quote, that they'll be having ice cream in Helsinki 
by December, Helsinki being the capital of Finland. And I could go over, there are so many stories of just, <laughs> that are just embarrassing. In fact, a couple, two in particular being, uh, one event, the a large column of Red Army soldiers were moving across a frozen lake. And a couple of sneaky Finns were hiding from some nearby trees and they shot the ice underneath the, <laughs> the very hapless Russians crossing the lake. And um, I'll give you three guesses what happened to those Russians the second that ice cracked. Another one, now this shows you how piss poor the morale was for the Russians. So the Finns were forced to retreat from a small area. And as the Russians reached the Finnish camp, they stopped. Not because they're receiving fire, not because they're out of fuel, not because they stopped because the Finns were cooking dinner and they were forced to leave in a hurry. So the Russians stopped their advance on this day just so they can eat a hot meal. Also, again, just showing you, the Finns completely took advantage of psychological warfare against the uh, the Russians as well with their snipers. Finnish snipers would hide in the snow and pick off dozens upon dozens of Russian soldiers. In fact, the deadliest sniper in history was in the Winter War. His name's Simo Herhe. Simo used a bolt-action Mosin-Nagant rifle. Iron sights, by the way. He didn't use a scope. And through the course of the Winter War, which was a three-month-long war, he killed over 505 confirmed Russians. Confirmed kills. 500. Also, another 200 killed with a Suomi KP-31 submachine gun. In fact, Simo became so infamous that the Russians would deploy counter-snipers to try to kill him. And um, he killed all the counter-snipers. In fact, uh, one of Simo's favorite tactics was he would just sit there. He would make a little hole. He'd sit in that hole, and that hole being snow. He would pack the snow in his mouth. That way it, his, it, uh, his breath wouldn't fog up, and he would just sit there and wait. And wait, and wait. And then some Russians come along the road, and um, crack, crack, crack. And that's the sound of about 15 dead Russians. In fact... Due to the way Finland's terrain was, each shot revolving off of a rifle would sound like it would echo, and they wouldn't know where the hell the shots were coming from. In fact, he pretty much became a ghost story to the Russians. Unfortunately for Simo, his battle against the Russians would end in just before the war would end as he took a direct hit from an explosive bullet right to the face. It didn't kill him, but it put him in a coma, and it pretty much blew his jaw off. But he survived, and he got reconstructive surgery. And um, ironically enough, he awoke from his coma the day after Finland was forced to surrender to the Russians. Now, you might be thinking, why would Finland surrender to Russia? They're doing so good. Well, here's the thing, though. They were doing amazing, but it's tiny little Finland... Versus the full wrath of the Soviet Union. They were going to lose no matter what. It was just a matter of time. They were they were banking on the Allies sending their support. And the Allies didn't send nothing. <laughs> they made a bunch of promises, but they didn't give shit to Finland. Ironically enough, the only one who sent some aid to Finland was Nazi Germany. And this becomes important in a few minutes for you, as you see. 
basically Finland is forced to sign the Treaty of Moscow on March 14th, 1940, ending the Winter War with, of course, the 10%, well, actually 11% of land, including the Karelian Isthmus given to the Soviet Union and also all their major ports. However, however, this, it might have been a defeat, but tactically it was a victory. In fact, this humiliating defeat for Russia would basically be a laughingstock of the entire world. In fact, this would basically give Hitler, in his mind, the okay to invade the Soviet Union, just seeing how pathetic they were against fighting tiny little Finland. And the consequences of this war, well, basically, Finland really wanted their land back, and they their relations with the Allies were soured, considering they didn't do anything. So, while Hitler was planning to invade the Soviet Union in 1941, Berlin and Helsinki began um, talks. Basically, Finland didn't like Nazism. However, they wanted their land back, and so... They came up with an agreement. When the Germans would invade on June 25th, 1941, the Finns would invade from their border, and basically the goal was for Finland to get all of its territory back. And so when Hitler invaded Russia, this would basically begin the continuation war for Finland as they once again engaged the Red Army. And, well, granted, this time around, the Red Army was preoccupied with Germany as the Wehrmacht would make significant gains in 1941 against the Soviet Union. Finland would once again begin to humiliate the shit out of the Soviet Union. In fact, one infamous recount story goes how basically, for some reason... Um, Russian minefields were basically, they had a kill switch where basically if you played a certain signal over a radio on a certain frequency, it would shut off all their minefields and the area near Helsinki was mined and, um, <laughs> this is so stupid. I can't believe this actually happened. The Finns blasted polka music uh, they found the frequency and they blasted polka music over it and they uh, disabled all the Soviet mines and launched a counterattack. And once again, another Finn would become uh, basically a worldwide hero, this one being Laurie Torney. Now, what made Mr. Torney special was basically he created basically Finnish commandos as he and a small team would basically just on a daily basis go behind Soviet lines and just cause havoc. In fact, he would became, he became such a problem for the Russians that they put a massive bounty on his head. I think in American dollars at the time, it'd be like about $10 million, I think. I don't remember the exact amount. But ultimately, Mr. Tory would become a national hero for Finland. However, well, as you know, um, Germany started getting pushed back after the failed Battle of Stalingrad and Kursk. And with the Red Army much more organized, they began to push Finland back, back to the, um, the border pre-continuation war. And that would ultimately end the continuation war on September 19th, 1944. Now... This kind of shows you that, yeah, Finland and Germany, even though they might have been on the same side, they really didn't like each other. 
And pretty much immediately after the treaty was signed, the Finns turned on their German allies who were stationed in Finland and drove them out. And that would basically be the end of Finland's involvement in World War II. So with that, we can see that basically Finland just wiped the floor with the Soviet Union in a matter of speaking during World War II. The mighty Soviet Union, who would think that they would lose battle after battle to little Finland? I guess I have time. I, uh, you know what? And this will just be all together. So uh, part two of the segment, we're going to talk about the other major blunder of World War II. Today we're talking about the Italians. Oh yes, the Italians. <laughs> now, out of all the Axis powers in World War II, we all know of how well Germany and Japan did, but Italy is regarded being just an embarrassment for the Axis powers. It wasn't always like this, though. When Mussolini came to power in Italy, he proposed a dream to reunify and recreate the Roman Empire. And his first act of creating the Roman Empire was, hey, is there any country out there that's so primitive that they're armed with literal sticks and spears that we can just trample them with our tanks? Oh, Ethiopia, all right. And, um, yeah, and I think it was 1936, uh, Mussolini conquered Ethiopia. Mo by mostly using poison gas. In fact, during the, uh, what I guess you could consider world, the era of World War II, Italy would be the only country who would use poison gas on the battlefield. In um, Abyssinia, which later became Ethiopia. Anyways... Basically, Mussolini and Hitler become chums. Hitler declare, you know, starts World War II, 1939. And we move on to the year 1940. 1940, well, actually 1939, actually, because <laughs> this is an important, this is important. <laughs> In spring 39, Italy did its next bit of annexation. They annexed Albania, peacefully, I might add. And um, once again, Italy, they want stuff. And by stuff, I mean they start sending their troops to North Africa. And they actually have the British on the ropes for a little bit in North Africa, mainly because of all the confusion that was created in the British and French lines and communication due to, well, Hitler kind of winning the war in Europe, except for Britain in 1940. Anyways, it Mussolini sets his eyes on Greece. Why Greece? Well, Greece was part of the Roman Empire. Anyways... In October 28th, Mussolini makes demands of Greece. Now, the two countries were at odds for some time, and Mussolini pretty much demands Greece, a large chunk of its territory, and the deadline is later on that day of October 28th. However, the Italian army, being the sneaky bastards that they were, attacked the Greeks. They basically invaded Greece through Albania before the deadline ended. And, um, you know, they make things some territorial gains and Mussolini's thinking alright cool I'm gonna have Greece and the Greeks stop the Albanian slash Italian army dead in its tracks even the and all the while the Italian air force is bombing the hell out of Greece but the uh, the Greek army again outmanned outgunned they completely stop the Italian army and the Albanian army and Basically, they heavily entrenched themselves, a la World War One style, and by basically this 
you know, this invasion started in October, but by mid-November, the, um, the entire campaign pretty much grinded to a halt as the Italians and Ethiopians are taking horrific casualties and the Greeks pretty much stop them dead. And then the Greeks had this crazy idea to counterattack and they began counterattack and that counterattack was a success. So they did another one and they did another one. And they did another one. <laughs> and they just kept going and going and going and going. And by January in 1941, a couple months after this invasion began, they captured Kilisa Pass, which is several miles within Albania. In fact, they just keep going to the point where they have half of Albania under their control. However, finally, in February, the front stabilized. Quite frankly, if it didn't stabilize, the Greeks probably would have conquered Albania. And um, basically, in, in <laughs> one month later in March, Italy decides, hey, a spring offensive worked for Germany in World War I to break a stalemate. Let's try a spring offensive in uh, Albania to, to break the Greeks. It failed. It failed. It failed. <laughs> They lost more territory again. They they fucked up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. The the Greeks once again stopped them and began to advance. And shortly after the failed offensive, it once again grounded to a halt. But mainly because the Greeks were running out of ammo. That's right. The Greeks were only stopped because they were running out of ammo. Granted, the Italians kind of got their shit together and they sent more and more troops to Albania. So it was kind of a stalemate. And uh, Mussolini in, um, er, in basically late March would uh, do this thing. And well, for the rest of World War II, Mussolini would uh, adopt this little plan, which was basically plan B in case one of his um, military engagements failed. It was uh, Hitler, help... Hitler said, help, please. Help, help. Meanwhile, Hitler was getting ready to invade the Soviet Union, might I add. However, he sees that the Greeks, which are now being reinforced by the British, could compromise the southern flank. So he has to divert the, basically, the might of the Wehrmacht from northern part of the, the uh, Soviet-German border down to the southern part of the border. And basically... April 9th, Operation Marita begins, where basically the Germans invaded Albania. And by April 20th, yeah, it was over. The, the, the Greeks, they did their best against the Germans, but this was the Wehrmacht in its prime. And ultimately, on April 20th, the Greeks are forced to surrender. However, however... They only surrendered to Germany. That was the main term of they would surrender. Like, all right, we surrender. We're not going to surrender to Italy. We refuse. And, well, the Germans and the Greeks signed a peace treaty. Of course, this pissed off Mussolini. And about a month or two later, this was rescinded. And they are forced to surrender to the Italians. Meanwhile, there's all these British troops that are still in Greece. And they're forced to fall back to Crete. It's a small island off the coast of Greece. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny. This wasn't actually, this, def Germany would actually suffer a defeat here. Oper basically, this would begin, basically, they needed to clear out the British on Crete. So, Operation Mercury begins. 
Operation Mercury was basically the Germans' plan to use their elite paratroopers, the Fallschirmjäger, to parachute out and capture Crete with aid from the Kriegsmarine and the Luftwaffe. Only problem, the Kriegsmarine were nowhere to be seen in the Mediterranean, nor the Italian Navy. Also, the Luftwaffe wasn't doing much, so it was basically the Fallschirmjäger against the Greek and British Army. And also, German parachutes sucked. That sounds surprising. Like, what? German equipment is inferior to allies? Yeah. Um, Parachutes, you know, they have this thing called the risers. Risers help you control where you land your parachute. You can have a little bit of control of where you're landing. Um, Goering didn't think it'd be a great idea to give these parachutes risers to the Fallschirmjäger. And, uh, oh dear. So when the Fallschirmjäger would, basically they did their jump, they couldn't move where they're going, and the British and the Greeks just looked up. They're like, oh, look, German paratroopers. They got their machine guns out, and it was a turkey shoot. They suffered horrific casualties, but at the end of the day, the Fallschirmjäger did capture Crete. Granted, they suffered, I think it was like half, 50% casualties. And because of this, the Fallschirmjäger would never do an airborne operation again, except for a couple of times. And, and um, it is, it, it's speculated, but it, it's kind of obvious that this did, in fact, play a role in Hitler failing to capture Moscow before, basically, they were forced to stop. You see, it, it, it's pretty much speculated that the invasion of the Soviet Union would have begun in April. Now, if it would have begun in April, now... In our timeline, the Operation Barbarossa, Innovation of the Soviet Union, was in June 41, and they got to Moscow around November, and they were forced to stop because of the winter. In fact, it got so damn cold that the gasoline in their tanks froze solid. Not to mention, Stalin called in the Siberian Reserve, and they pushed them back. If, and I mean if, if this invasion happened two months or hell, even in March, they possibly could have captured Moscow. Now, it's hard to argue what would happen even if they captured Moscow. Stalin refused to leave Moscow. They could have captured Stalin. If It's hard to say what would happen if they would have successfully captured Moscow and in fact captured or killed Stalin, but it could have defeated the Soviet Union. So, <laughs> the we, we basically, we can speculate that the main reason Hitler lost World War II was because Mussolini was a, was a dipshit. So, in a way, we kind of have to thank Mussolini for the fact that the Nazis failed to conquer the world. So, um, thanks... Mussolini for being stupid. Also, again, throughout the rest of World War II, again, remember how I mentioned how the Italians were doing well in North Africa? They began to fail. 
and to the point where they were almost completely pushed out of North Africa. And Mussolini once again went to Hitler like, Hitler, Hitler, help, help. Hitler got pissed off and he created the Africa Corps under the hero of the invasion. Uh, basically, the guy who pretty much won the Battle of France, Irvin Rommel, and he created the Africa Corps. And that diverted a lot of resources from the Eastern Front. In fact, Italian blunders became so prominent that Churchill made a remark saying, and I quote, that Italy was the soft underbelly of Europe. Yeah, apply cold water to burn. And later in 1943, the Americans and the British would invade the island of Sicily and then eventually make their way through Italy. And that would be the end of Italy's involvement in World War II. Of course, Mussolini, of course, the Italian um, government revolted. They put Mussolini in prison and Mussolini, once again, help, Hitler, help. Hitler probably let out a really loud sigh and um, he basically told Otto Scorzani, pretty much the probably the most efficient agent of the Third Reich, that he, the man who was dubbed the most dangerous man in Europe, he, him and a group of Fallschirmjäger launched a rather impressive operation where they actually broke Mussolini out of prison and brought him back to Germany without a single casualty, without a shot being fired if I actually got the story right. So again, the Fallschirmjäger, they were pretty impressive. And also hats off to Otto Scorzani. But, uh, yeah, Mussolini, he, um, you know, and, you know, you would think, like, okay, yeah, the war's lost for Italy, and Mussolini, being Mussolini, thought it'd be a great idea to try to get back to Italy, and, well, in 1945, the Italians, who were pretty much done with this shtick, uh, they caught him, and they killed him, and they strung his corpse up in the middle of Rome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, out of all of the, out of the out of all the main dictators of the Axis powers, Mussolini was to, by far the most embarrassing and just the probably the most pathetic, and he died in the most pathetic death. So, anyways, that would be the end of basically Italy's blunders in World War Two, and that concludes this first episode of History Sunday. I don't know if that's going to be the official name of this series or whatnot. And basically just talking about the two biggest, like, what the hell moments of World War II. And anyways, I am your host, Mr. C. I hope you enjoy this episode and um, tune in next Sunday where I will talk about some other moment in history. If I were to pick one, I don't know, but I might do it on well something a little more obscure maybe the battle of stanford bridge but uh we'll see we'll see anyways um i am your host mr c and i'll catch you next time peace <laughs>